And good Thursday afternoon, everybody, and welcome into another special edition of Wild Sports Talk live on the MI6 Sports Network. It's another Thursday with a guest joining us here, folks. It's an old friend of mine from uh, many years ago in Los Angeles and across the Southern California airwaves on KLSD Extra 1360. Now, folks, proudly broadcasting every weeknight evening on KNBR 680 AM, 4.5 FM in the Bay Area. It is the one, the only Mark Willard joining us here today on this Thursday. Mark, a pleasant good afternoon, man, and thanks for taking the time to join us. How are we doing today? I am always here for you, and you know, uh, you know when the intro starts to get longer in terms of all the stations you've worked for, it just means you're getting older, which I, I get reminded of by uh, my kids every single day. Uh, but that's uh, but that's all good. How are you guys doing? We are doing fantastic, Mark. And again, we thank you uh, dearly for joining us here today. I know that we're kind of on a bit of a tight uh, time leash today, as mentioned. Uh, Mark yeah, is usually good. doing uh, Mar uh, Mark is usually week uh, the weekday uh, night host on KNBR up in San Francisco. But today, though, had the uh, schedule change, so uh, we'll be able to uh, have a few minutes here with Mr. Willard today. Again, I kind of said that though because uh, Mark, a uh, little backstory. Mark uh, used to run. A lot of uh, sports casting workshops in downtown LA. I went to one of his last ones he got to host, I think 2015. And uh, it was very informative. It was one of the best times I've had in uh, learning from some of the greats like Mark and Steve Mason, Arash Markarzi, you know, name job a couple of people. So again, Mark, uh, we thank, uh, more so I thank you for what you have done though for uh, people like myself, Isaiah and John, who are trying to find their, uh, get the foot in the door and uh, kind of find their uh, niche in sports casting. So uh, I, Personally, thank you uh, humbly for, again, your hard work to make all of us better in this uh, field and this industry. Well, Callan, that, that means a ton, first and foremost. Um, and it, uh, it warms my heart uh, whenever somebody, you know, a few years removed from uh, taking a workshop or doing some coaching or whatever is still, uh, is still hard at work at it and showing that dedication because that's what's necessary. And, and, and you've always had that. I've always known that. Uh, and by the way, I should add, uh, you know, you mentioned that that was uh, something we were doing when I was down in L.A., and it's now four, five, six years removed from that. Uh, we've kind of relaunched that and, and uh, broadened it even uh, since my move to the Bay Area, which was in early 2019. Uh, we've got an entire umbrella now called Broadcaster's Path, which is partnered with KMBR, which will include workshops. Uh, for now, they're virtual, but workshops in person, on site at, uh, at KMBR. Um, I'm doing private coaching, and the goal is to someday make this one big digital broadcast community uh, to help so many people get into the industry because I just think there are too many barriers out there for a lot of talented people and sometimes too much money that needs to be spent in order to, uh, you know, whether get a degree or get a specialized education or whatnot. So uh, we're still working away very hard on that, uh, on that project, and uh, someday you'll be able to say you were one of the first. If there's a, if I need an excuse to come to the Bay Area and visit Isaiah and shareable Stephen Wang, it's got to be to see Mr. Willard and uh, take more of his broadcast workshops. Uh, Mark, before we actually get into our topics for today, I know, of course, like we said, that we're kind of on a bit of a, a short time leash today. But of course, Mark, when we bring anyone on, though, that works in radio, television, who's been a part of our um, our special guest list here on the MI6 Sports Network, we always ask, though, you know, what made you forge your path into sports? You know, like I said, I think you probably know my story a bit from when I uh, came to Los Angeles in 2015. 
uh, more so for me, it was watching local sports directors on TV here and just kind of following or uh, going down that path. But Mark, how about yourself, though, in regards to, uh, for one, being a Bay Area native, uh, coming back to, uh, you know, your home, uh, you know, the home part of your state or of the state, I should say, and uh, probably working for some of your favorite organizations that you probably grew up watching. But Mark, what, what really kind of got you into getting into the sports media industry in the first place? Well, I mean, there's two answers to that. First is, is uh, whenever we get that realization that we're not going to be able to play professionally, uh, for each of us, that's, that's a different age. For me, it was rather early. I was going to play as long as I could. For me, that was up through senior year in high school. Um, but I knew. I just knew. I mean, the, the second part of that answer is, and it's something I bring up in, in workshops and coaching all the time, is that uh, if, if you're truly dedicated and you truly, truly, truly want to do this, do you ever stop and think about why? Why do you want to do it? I mean, yeah, it's a cool job. I, I mean, there are a lot of different cool jobs out there. For me, it, it's because there is something uh, that, that, uh, that you're born with. If you're lucky enough to have an idea of what you want to do when you're 7 or 9 or 11 or even 15, 16, 17, I watch people go to college all the time. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. And that's fine. But it's a blessing if you know what you want to do before that. Um, and I think it means that, that that's what you're here to do. Uh, I don't know if, if for everybody that means just because you want to do it, you're automatically going to be some uh, you know, national broadcast star at some point. Um, everybody's got a different path into the industry, and it might lead in front of the camera or behind or producing or an executive. There, there's, there's thousands of different possibilities. But for me, it was something I knew very, very early um, when I was a kid. My mom used to get mad at me for uh, um, like on Friday nights, friends would be like, hey, you know, is, uh, does Mark uh, want to come over and do something? I'd be like, no, I'm not available. The Giants are on. And, and I would just sit at home with like, you know, uh, whatever electronics looked like back then, nothing like now, and record <laughs> myself broadcasting games in front of the television. Um, it was just in my blood. It was something that, uh, that I always wanted to do. And you're right. I did grow up listening to KMBR and that was always a goal. And so it's been uh, it, it's it's been just a tremendous experience for me to uh, to come back here and get a chance to do what I was dreaming about doing when I was, uh, you know, probably eight, nine, ten years old. Mark, you know, you've worked in different markets, uh, of course, back at, you know, back home. I, you know, I can call it your home, you know, your home station, KNBR, but you've worked in San Diego with Rich Ornberger on KLSD 1360. You spent time, too, at, uh, at KSPN, ESPN LA 710. Uh, and, of course, you covered the Lakers there, the Dodgers, and, of course, covered uh, the pod race here, but, and also I think the charge where they left for Los Angeles here. And you've kind of have seen, you know, maybe – you know, you've seen the L.A. sports market. You've seen the San Diego radio market. And, of course, you've been accustomed to the Bay Area market. But, Mark, if there's maybe one moment that you are the most proud of in your career, what would it be and why? Ooh, that's uh, – I, I mean, gosh, there, there are a number of different ways that, that I could uh, answer that question. Like, it used to be uh, – for me, it, it, it used to be, like, looking at it from, through the lens of events. You know, I've been blessed to be on site at multiple Super Bowls and I've been to a Final Four and I've been to the Masters and, and, and that's one that stands out. But it's kind of more from a personal standpoint rather than professional because I went to the Masters and I sort of loosely got to cover it. But the main reason I was actually there is because one of my very good friends uh, who I went to high school with uh, became a professional golfer and was playing in the Masters. And so we got to go actually follow him at Augusta National and 
and, and so there's events like that that stand out. Um, but at the risk of sounding like a broken record, uh, what will always resonate in my mind is the first time that I clicked on a microphone at KNBR. And within a couple of months, uh, it had already been, the show had been expanded a little bit and changed its name to actually uh, bear my name and, and to, uh, to click a microphone on and say that you're listening to the Mark Willard show on KNBR is an incredibly personal and emotional thing for me. Um, and, um, it, it's just, it's, it's something I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. And however long I'm at KMBR, and hopefully it's a really, really long time and whatever that journey's like, there's not going to be anything like that beginning, because as I already mentioned, um, I, it, it's, it's been, I mean, I'm in my mid forties now we're, we're running on 30 some odd years of me visualizing that moment and dreaming of that moment and thinking that, that that could be a reality someday. Um, but then once my life started and a family started and, and a professional world started in Southern California, there were times where I was like, well, that's not actually ever going to happen. Like I'm, I'm, I'm working in the industry where I wanted to work, but you know, building a family here in LA, like it's probably not going to happen. And I always kind of longingly kept my eyes on what was going on in the Bay area. So when the opportunity struck, and I was able to come up here and my family was uh, amazingly supportive in, in, uh, in coming along and, and starting a new adventure for them. Um, and, and it leads to, to me being able to, uh, to do exactly what I dreamt of, of doing. And, and in a year and a half, I'm podcasting with the San Francisco Giants and doing shows from inside their stadium, which is a little kid was was everything that I wanted to do. And so um, there's no question that, uh, that, that what touches my heart the most in terms of career moments is that one. Definitely. I mean, you can't put a price tag on working in your hometown. That is for sure. Again, folks, Mark Willard of KNBR joining us today for a abbreviated get together on this Thursday. With that, uh, Mark, some uh, sports news from the Bay Area we wanted to kind of touch base on. Of course, the Niners have a very big game again coming up versus Dallas this upcoming Sunday. Uh, more so, uh, Mark, uh, yesterday, I believe, uh, Kyle Shanahan made the decision to stick with Nick Mullins as the starting quarterback instead of going to C.J. Beathard. Of course, Jimmy Garoppolo is still dealing with that uh, injury that he's had. Uh, Mark, any thoughts to pass along about your stance on Shanahan sticking with Mullins instead of going to Beathard, even though it appears so that Mullins has perhaps struggled perhaps mildly of late in some of the recent games that San Francisco has played? Well, I, I think the significance of the move is actually more about next year than this because uh, this is classic backup quarterback syndrome. Uh, whenever you're watching a quarterback who cannot effectively do what, what is necessary at the professional level, you start thinking about the other guy. But 49er fans have been through this already with C.J. Beathard and then Nick and then back to C.J. and back to Nick. If you put C.J. Beathard in, you're going to get a very similar yet different version of what you're seeing with Nick, which is what, what the 49ers have is it, it, two people who are not starting quarterback caliber in the NFL. And so uh, the, the immediate thought that came to my mind when Kyle made that decision is, okay, there are going to be at least two new quarterbacks in the 49er quarterback room next year. 
because I don't think either of these guys are going to be back. That's what that decision said to me. We know that Nick Mullins has proven this year over a long period of time he's not the high-quality backup that people thought he was at the beginning of the year. Um, yet, you also have C.J. Beathard, third-round pick from a few years ago, and if you're not going to put him in now, when are you going to put him in? Um, I likened him the other night to uh, our storage unit that I cleaned out uh, a couple of months ago. Every year, you open up that door, you look at all this stuff, and for some reason, you tell yourself, I need to keep that. I, 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 I'm going to use that at some point. The next year, you come back, you still haven't used it. The next year, you come back, you still haven't used it. At a certain point, you got to ask yourself, what am I holding on to this for? When am I actually going to use this? Same thing with C.J. Bester. If you're not going to use him now, I, I don't really even understand what the point is of having him on the roster. So the 49ers might have three new quarterbacks next year because the Jimmy G question will linger. We're not there yet. We don't know who's available. There are many questions to answer. But I do think uh, the 49ers are likely to move on from Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard, look for higher quality backups and or young players that they can groom at, uh, at that position. Because um, going back and forth, I mean, I think the likelihood is if C.J. had come in by halftime, people would be like, hmm, maybe we should go back to Nick Mullins. Uh, that's what you get. That's why these guys are backups. So, Isaiah, Mark has perhaps two new backups heading to San Francisco. Uh, no Mullins, no uh, Beathard in his mind. Uh, where do you stand, of course, with you being our resident Niners fan in the uh, on the panel this afternoon? Isaiah, you are muted, buddy. Thank you. Well, Callan, I think that C.J. Beathard is not going to be back because from what I've seen from C.J. Beathard, the guy has just a very slow release. You know, that's why he's taking a lot of sacks in his career. Uh, he gets rid of the ball very slowly. Um, he doesn't really have that good pocket awareness. So that's why I think uh, that factored into Kyle Shanahan's decision. Uh, to put C.J. Beathard in or to leave him as the third stringer instead of putting him over Nick Mullins for this game. But I think that this decision is very telling when it comes to Nick Mullins' future. Like Mark said, I think that Nick Mullins is now on the clock with the 49ers. You know, it's put up or shut up time for Nick Mullins. I know he's a backup, but there's like a lot of 49ers fans that have this delusion that Nick Mullins is this like, future franchise quarterback and he's a guy that you know could lead the 49ers to playoff victories and even the Super Bowl and I just think that Nick Mullins needs to prove it this week against Dallas he needs to play well because if he doesn't play well he's going to get benched and uh you, you'll probably see C.J. Beathard for the rest of the season uh if Mullins continues to struggle. John do you agree with that sentiment perhaps that Isaiah has that more so that more so Niners fans are probably putting all their faith and trust or all that all their eggs in that basket for Mullins, though. But to Mark's point, though, that maybe that both him and Beathard are probably not going to be a part of this ball club next season. Yeah, you know, these fans seem a bit delusional. They want Nick Mullins to be that guy. Um, is he that guy? I don't know. I'm not sure he is. You know, it's a heavy burden on his shoulders to carry the offense, and he still has a lot to prove um, going forward. Do I think he's the quarterback of the future? I don't know. It's hard to pinpoint right now if he is the quarterback of the future. I think right now Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers are taking it day by day. Um, you know, they're going based on performance right now. Um, but these Niners fans can't expect Nick Mullins to be the next Jimmy G, the next Steve Young, 
or the next Joe Montana. I just don't see that. You know, um, if you believe that, then you are very delusional because Nick Mullins is not that quarterback. He's, um, you know, he struggles at times. He's not consistent at times, you know, and, you know, like Isaiah said, you know, he is not, you know, the quarterback of the future. He's a backup quarterback at, at, at best. So, I mean, don't anticipate him to be this next, you know, franchise quarterback because, look, it, it just don't look like he's that next franchise quarterback. Not at all. Fair assessment by everybody. Once again, folks, Mark Willard of KNBR joining us today on this Thursday edition of Wild Sports Talk. Mark, of course, the Niners hook up with some uh, probably a rival franchise from back in the glory days of the 80s. And Niners, of course, the Cowboys and Niners hook up this Sunday. Uh, Mark, how about a preview probably of uh, this game and what do the Niners have to do to win this game over Dallas coming up on Sunday? Well, I, I mean, obviously this game is not what it was cracked up to be. This was supposed to be Sunday night football this week. Uh, this was supposed to be Dak Prescott versus Jimmy Garoppolo. And uh, I'm sure at the beginning of the year, NBC foresaw this as being two clubs that were vying for playoff position as opposed to draft position and Andy Dalton versus Nick Mullins and who knows, maybe C.J. Beathard too. So uh, this game it got, got really weird really fast, and that's why it got flexed out and it'll be played on Sunday afternoon. I do think this presents an opportunity for Nick Mullins to get his name back in positive graces this week. Dallas has the worst defense in the NFL. They looked good last week against a backup quarterback in Brandon Allen with Cincinnati. Alden Smith had a nice game. That's a nice storyline with Alden going against the team that drafted him. So uh, maybe they uh, turn a corner a little bit and, and, and make him play well against uh, another backup quarterback. But uh, it's an opportunity for Nick. It's an opportunity for the 49er run game to get back on track. They do have some problems on the offensive line. They've not played that well this year. And Colton McKivitz just got put on the, uh, on the COVID list. And uh, Tom Compton last week got put on IR. So it's a thin offensive line. That's been a sore point for, for the 49ers all year long. And, and, and we'll see uh, if, if they can play better this time. But uh, the 49er defense, when not going against a dynamic offense, is pretty good. They struggled against Buffalo a couple weeks ago, but they actually played really well against Washington and Alex Smith. I think they can do the same thing against Andy Dalton. I think Kwan Williams is going to be back in the defensive backfield, which changes the whole look of it for everybody, for Richard Sherman and for Jason Barrett and everybody. It just changes their depth. So uh, that might change things. And I think that they can give Andy Dalton enough problems and the defense is porous enough that that, uh, that that Nick Mullins will be able to complete passes and move the ball. Um, the 49ers still believe they're in the playoff race, and mathematically they are. Um, I, I think that they can win this one and, and get themselves, at least for one more week, back on track. And at least keep themselves in the mix. Again, the NFC is very log-jammed right now with San Francisco, Minnesota, Chicago, Washington even. You know, they're now in the top four with them leading the uh, NFC East division at this rate. Mark, let's uh, move from uh, from football and talk some baseball. Of course, the Giants, they were in the mix all the way to the final weekend of the regular season, basically. But, of course, uh, not a lot of their main guys. Again, Buster Posey opted out because of uh, – 
him and his wife adopting the uh, twins over the offseason, plus the COVID issues, and a lot of, you know, new faces joining this uh, ball club. And for sure, a big-time transitional period for uh, Giants fans who, of course, are, you know, still uh, living in the limelight of the uh, 2010, 12, and 14 World Series championships. But also a first-year manager after Bruce Bochy retired, uh, retired, and that, of course, was former Phillies manager Gabe Kapler, who came in, or came in, I should say, and again, almost led the Giants of the postseason, just missed it by about a game or so. Uh, on the outside looking in. But uh, Mark, in your mind, what are some of the things that surprised you most about Kapler uh, during his first year with the Giants again? Probably for the first time, though, the Giants kind of going through a bit of a rebuild right now at this rate. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know if this surprised me, but I was really impressed. And uh, I, I just think it was noticeable about how incredibly detail-oriented, not just Gabe, but the entire regime is. Um, Kapler, you know, when he got hired, he was easy to make fun of, right? I mean, he is the opposite of Bruce Bochy. Bochy is uh, old guard. Here comes Kapler, looks like a GQ model and, uh, and, and, you know, is all about analytics and a new way of thinking. Um, while that still rubs some Giants fans the wrong way, I, I really think even though he struggled at times, and this will always be his thing about, when to make the right bullpen move and, and who to go with. Um, I think that the proof was in the pudding when you look at the Giants offense. Essentially, the same lineup went from one of the last place teams in the league in terms of their productivity all the way up to, I think they finished seventh in baseball this year. They suddenly made Oracle Park look like a hitter's park. Part of that was that the, the arcade was closed and maybe the wind wasn't coming into the stadium. The fence in center field came in just a little bit. Uh, but this team hit 80 home runs in their uh, in, in their 60 games, uh, which nobody would have forecast. And if you ask every one of the players to a man, each one of them will say, this staff changed us. I, I, I mean, they completely changed the, the output they were getting based on some of the, the analytics, some of the detailed information that they were providing. It is the largest staff in Major League Baseball, again, when they started hiring people at first, fans were like, what is this? Why are you hiring everyone? This is you're overwhelming the situation. You will not hear one player on this team say that each one of them can point to specific things where they improved because of this staff, who they are, the way they go about their business. Truly, no stone is unturned. And that kind of energy became infectious. It filtered down to the players. And, uh, and, and it's, again, as I said, essentially the same roster was a way better team from one year to next. And so I think that projects really, really nicely for them the next few years when they start getting some more talented ball players coming in. They've got a lot of really good stuff coming up in their farm system. Isaiah, I think Mark's right, though, that, you know, despite the fact that the NL West was, again, in favor of the rival Dodgers and for that matter, even the Padres, again, kind of keeping things close. But the Giants, though. They were right there, like I said, though. They were kind of on the cusp of maybe making the postseason. They were close for that, you know, the eighth spot, the seventh spot. But, again, they kind of fizzled out, though, at the very end. Uh, Isaiah, probably I would think, though, that I know that Kapler kind of coming in may have turned some people off like, oh, great, we have another, you know, analytics guru here to kill the game of baseball. But there were times, though, it worked and times it didn't work, though, for a majority of the season. Isaiah, any thoughts about San Francisco this past season and how they might, in fact, look come 2021 with a full, hopefully, 162-game schedule? 
Well, I was very impressed by the San Francisco Giants this year uh, because, you know, the Giants, they seemed like a very pesky team. They were like a team that, you know, uh, other teams just couldn't, uh, couldn't get rid of. You know, they were like a pest. Uh, they would grind out at bats. They would make it tough on the pitchers. And then uh, the, their pitchers would pitch very well. Johnny Cueto was very good in his comeback from Tommy John surgery. So I think that's what the Giants are going to continue to be until they can build up that farm system, until some of the guys in that farm system come up, and then they can get ready to contend again. And that is be kind of what like the Padres were uh, before they got into contention, which is just be like a very Definitely a great uh, Padres and Giants and the Dodgers again mm -hmm. made it a very fun race for the NL West Division Championship. Once more, folks, Mark Willard joining us today. From KNBR up in San Francisco. Uh, Mark, we have uh, one more question for us. We have a couple of viewer questions. Then, of course, we'll let you go. We know, of course, you're kind of against the clock here today uh, with your program being moved from the evening to the uh, afternoon time slot. Uh, Mark, pretty simple. What is the biggest uh, thing that the Giants must accomplish over the offseason in regards to depth, maybe offense, uh, pitching-wise? What is their biggest need over the offseason in your mind? Yeah, their, their biggest need is to establish a firm starting rotation or at least a stable of starters uh, reliable enough to get them uh, day in, day out, night in and night out into the sixth inning or so, and then define their bullpen roles. If you look at the team last year, they hit the ball well enough. Uh, they did not have enough starting pitchers uh, they could rely on. Yes, some of them were injured. Drew Smiley uh, dealt with injury. Johnny Cueto still coming back from his injury and, and, and is getting older and so not sure uh, what, what he's got left in the tank. And then there's some young guys trying to prove themselves like Logan Webb. You'll need some of those guys to step forward. But Kevin Gossman is now, he, he's going to be probably the anchor of the rotation. They just signed Anthony DiSclafani from the Reds last night. And, and so uh, that's a guy who's coming off a bad year but was really good before that. Maybe he can uh, sort of become a reclamation project. I think they're going to sign eight to ten starters in the hopes of having five or six really reliable ones. And then last year they had a really young bullpen. For me, a bullpen in baseball is just like an offensive line in football. We never talk about it. You don't focus on it, but it's the heartbeat of a team. And if you don't have it, you're not going to win consistently. They had a lot of games slip away from them in the late innings. Uh, they, they sort of did a closer by committee thing for a while. Um, I, I think now with the data they got from last year, they can sign a few new guys. They also know what they have in the guys that, that are holdovers from last year. Define those roles a little bit better and therefore rework the pitching staff and then just add a couple pieces in terms of offense. Uh, don't, don't even have to be everyday players, but just a couple of, of, of solid pieces that can add to their depth. And, uh, and then they become an interesting team for a year, still not as talented as the Dodgers, the Padres, but they set themselves up nicely then for 2022 when a lot of their big-time prospects are going to be ready. Oh, to have Brian Wilson and Sergio Romo coming in for the ninth inning at Oracle Park. Uh, Isaiah, I know you wanted to ask Mark a quick question about the Giants. We'll let you have the floor. What do you got, bud? Yeah, Mark, uh, one of the Giants pitchers that I'm very intrigued by is Tyler Beattie. You know, he was drafted by the Giants in the first round, I believe, five years ago. Uh, he's got a lot of talent, but he just hasn't panned out um, on the major league level. I think last February he had to have Tommy John surgery on his elbow. What's the latest uh, regarding Beattie and his recovery from Tommy John surgery? And do you think he will play a big role for the Giants come the 2021 season? The latest on his injury, the news is all really good. 
good. Um, the, the, the words coming out of that camp are that, uh, that, that he is ready to roll. The recovery has gone smoothly, and, uh, and he should be ready to pitch by spring training. Is he going to play a big role? He'll have an opportunity to, uh, but he's going to have to pitch well. Uh, this Farhan Zadi re, uh, regime does not hand over anything to anyone. You've got to constantly compete for your spot on this team. And so, you know, Beanie's interesting. I mean, I think he's a guy that had a real big learning curve um, as he was coming up. He has not had a chance to pitch under Gabe Kapler's staff yet. And so I'm excited to see what they do with him because they've been getting the most out of everybody who's been coming in. As you said, he's got all the talent in the world. He's got a, a, a great fastball. He just needs to learn a little bit about the analytics of what to do with his stuff. And so if he can come in and do that this year, I, I mentioned there are going to be eight to 10 guys competing for five or six spots. He's going to be one of those guys. And right before the surgery at the end of the year, uh, not the 2020 season, the end of the 2019 year, he was starting to show some signs of really starting to put it all together. So another year watching and, and getting the arm healthy again puts him in position to have a spot if he pitches well in the spring. And, of course, Tommy John, very a rough injury for anyone to come back from in baseball. I mean, we saw Corey Seager come back from it, and he's a shortstop, and he had to have Tommy John. And it's not just pitchers that have, sadly get affected by Tommy John surgery. Uh, Mark, a couple of questions rolling in from our good friend Shardol Gupta. He's asking about the Warriors, and, of course, they're coming off of probably one of their worst seasons in recent memory, as we've already have seen, though, with uh, the injuries and, of course, the very bad record. Also trying to open up that brand-new plush estate there in San Francisco at Chase Center. Uh, Mark, the first question, we'll get to a couple of these, not too many of them, but Chardell first asked, though. Mark, uh, how do you believe Kelly Oubre Jr. fits into Golden State system? Of course, he's coming over from Phoenix, and in a way, they'll kind of blasted that organization on his way out the door. But, Mark, how do you believe Oubre Jr. fits in to Golden State's offensive system under Steve Kerr? Well, I, he's a different player than they've had in the past, but there's nothing better that they could have done in short order when they lost Clay Thompson to grab another wing. This is a pretty high quality player uh, when you're in a desperate situation with only a few weeks to go before the season starts. So he's different though. Um, he's not going to be that lockdown three point shooter uh, where like the second you uh, create an open shot for him on the wing, you know, that thing's hitting all net. He can hit the three and, and he can score for sure. Uh, but he's not a, a, a pure three point shooter. He's more of a scorer who can hit a three. What I love though, is that I do think he brings a little bit of a different physicality and a different mentality. He almost is halfway to Draymond Green, in other, in other words. I think he'll be, after Draymond, the next sort of like physical in-the-trenches leader for this team. His length is going to bother other teams on defense. Um, and then on offense, he, he is a little bit of a Swiss Army knife. He, he can do some things around the rim. He can finish. Uh, as mentioned, he can knock down a three. So... He's a little bit of a, uh, a new tool in the toolbox, if you will, for the Warriors, a little bit different of a player than they've had. Uh, in fact, I'd say that on both wings uh, with Andrew Wiggins this year as well. Those two guys, if the Warriors are going to be a top five, top six seed, those two guys have to have fantastic years. Um, and, and so we'll see. The, the gelling process at the NBA level takes some time. When you have a starting unit that has all these new people, even if they're good players, they need time to gel. So I don't expect it to be perfect or pretty at the beginning of the year. But once they get 20 games under their belt, I think we'll be able to take a real assessment of both of those guys. 
20 games sounds to be a very fair sample size. Uh, with that, uh, one more coming in from Chardol Mark. He's asking, can Steph Curry perform at a MVP level without Clay by his side? I think more so, Mark, this becomes a situation, though, where more of the scoring is going to be on Steph's shoulders because, you know, not having that second guy next to him that from beyond the arc is a very big blow to their offense in a way. But obviously, I think he's going to be at a, at a MVP level regardless if, if Clay's with him or not. But uh, Mark, uh, thoughts about maybe how, in fact, the Warriors' offense might be without Clay, and uh, more so, do you think that the uh, scoring brunt goes on Steph in your mind? Yes or no? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the whole key to the season is can they find other people to help him out? Uh, the second preseason game of the year, he went out of the game for a little while, and the whole thing fell apart. Um, and that's a lot to put on the shoulders physically of someone who truly is one of the smallest people on the floor. Can he score at an MVP level? Can his stats be MVP level? Yes. Can he be MVP? Probably not, uh, because what you're looking at is a team that I don't think will win enough games to get into that conversation. And, um, you know, the NBA world at large asks too much of its stars like that. You know, we, we, we want to see LeBron and Harden and Westbrook, we want to see them just put an entire team on their shoulders by themselves. I've never really seen that be successful uh, at a high level. Uh, you, you never see teams win a championship when there aren't multiple options. LeBron James, two seasons ago, they didn't even make the playoffs. They get Anthony Davis, they win a ring. You, you see what I'm saying? And so that's, right. what, that's what Steph is, is up against. And I think he will be unfairly criticized at times uh, because of that. But I mean, I think he's going to put up great numbers. It's just a matter of whether or not they're going to be empty numbers or will they be numbers that are contributing, you know, to winning two out of every three games. Definitely for sure. Again, more so that scoring, you know, the offense kind of going on Steph right now, as we've already said with Clay Thompson's injury. Mark, last question before we get you out of here for the day and we wrap things up. How good is James Wiseman? Of course, I think it's probably tough, though, for us media folks to not be able to see the games, perhaps, or, you know, either with you know, clips from from Instagram or from Facebook or, you know, it's not the same type of year as I think you and I both know very well with not being able to have that access to the team as we're used to. But, um, Mark, what do you think, though, in regards to maybe Wiseman's potential with the Warriors? I think the potential is the word. Um, I think the potential is through the roof. Um, but what is he right now and what is he going to be for this entire season? It's hard to answer and hard to expect uh, a, a whole lot at this point. He's such a young kid. He gets COVID right at the start of training camp and misses time. Um, you, you said it. We're getting social media snippets, which, of course, are controlled by the team. So we're not going to get the bad plays. We're only going to get the good plays. And, and so we get a few snippets of video and they look stunning. But that's all they are. And a basketball player is made of much more than that. So uh, the reviews from inside have been glowing. I think people are very impressed physically what he has the ability to do. The name David Robinson started coming up yesterday, which always is scary when you get a big name like that tied to a guy who is, uh, what, I think he's 19 years old. So that's totally unfair. But stylistically, that's what he can do. When you have questions you're like, okay, he's athletic and he's seven foot. Well, that's great. But what, what does that mean? Well, he moves really well. It doesn't look awkward like it does with some seven footers. He can shoot. He can handle the basketball. Um, he, he's got a post-up game that can go in or out into that mid-range. 
So with all those as basic skills, how does it fit into a team concept? And how does he grow into his knowledge of the game and his body and all that? That's the question for down the road. But if you're just simply asking about the word potential, it's through the roof. He's got the skills. Man, if you're 19 being compared to the Admiral David Robinson, whoo, man, that's a, a that's, a, that's a name to live up to for sure, especially yeah. when you're talking about NBA lore. With that, Mark and Isaiah, we'll wrap things up for today and jump into our final thoughts. All right, fellas, the cows are coming home on this Thursday afternoon. Isaiah, we'll start with you, man, for any final thoughts to pass along for today's program. Yeah, Mark, it was great having you on the air, uh, on the show today. Really appreciate you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Uh, keep doing the great work that you're doing for KNBR. I really enjoy listening to you uh, from 2 to 6 p.m. Uh, on the radio, man. Uh, you're fantastic. We talk about the Niners, the Giants, and the Warriors. Uh, yeah, just keep keep doing the great work, and I'm looking forward to listening to you uh, or listening to you after <laughs> That's this. That's all that matters. Thank you much. Thank you much. Uh, Mark, with that in mind, uh, we'll let you have the floor to probably say a couple of departing remarks, but also where can the fans uh, find you on the web if they want to follow you across social media or, of course, tune in on KNBR every weeknight? Yeah, no, appreciate that. KNBR 6 to 10, although for the rest of the holiday season, we'll be bouncing around to different time slots a little bit, but uh, KNBR 6 to 10 in the evening, of course, uh, there's also the Inside Giant Moments podcast uh, done with the uh, in conjunction with the San Francisco Giants. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcast. So, uh, so I hope you check that out and, and enjoy that as well. Uh, the only thought I'll leave you with has been the number one topic in the Bay Area for the last three months, and it's all about Jimmy Garoppolo. And everybody's been asked to pick a side. Do you want to keep him or do you want to move on? My message this whole year has been, you cannot go shopping until you know what's inside the store. It's Christmas time. You would not go inside Target or Costco if the, if the shelves were totally empty. You, you have no idea what's in there. Why would you go there? And that's the erroneous part of this Jimmy Garoppolo conversation that's going on right now where people are saying, hey, get rid of him. Well, who is it you're replacing him with? You got to know who's available. We don't know that information yet. We're having a conversation about a month and a half too early. Mark, we had 49ers beat writer, our buddy Grant Cohn, who has become the highest viewed show on our network at over 1,500 views. He wants my QB in Chicago, Mitch Trubisky, to come to San Francisco. Do you want to respond to Grant's thoughts? Yeah, no, that's that's not a good idea. And uh, I know Grant has, has some really forward thoughts, and, and, and I, I love that about Grant. He puts it out there and and a lot of times it, it can be controversial and all of that. Uh, but, but Mitch Trubisky has been working in a, a system with a supposed high-level offensive mind uh, for the last three years. And, uh, and it has not worked. I know he's got some nice mobility. Um, and, uh, and maybe Matt Nagy isn't all he's cracked up to be. But to me, uh, there have been enough opportunities, uh, especially a guy going alongside a very good defense that the Bears have had. And he still has not been able to uh, to do a whole lot with that. He has not been able to uh, to amass a uh, a consistent winning record. So I know there are a lot of people that look at Trubisky, they look at Wentz, uh, they look at Stafford, and they wonder what would those guys look with Kyle Shanahan. Those are interesting questions. Um, we're probably never going to get to uh, to find out. 
but I think also those those questions sort of leave the financial aspect out of it. This is the only spot where I'll agree with Grant is the one thing about someone like Trubisky is it keeps the finances down. And that's a big part of this conversation. The 49ers have a lot of free agents to sign. The salary cap is not going up as much as they thought. So one of the aspects of the combo with Jimmy G is do they need to save money at the quarterback position? So could they go get somebody for a third as much or a half as much, which is what Mitch would cost. Um, but if you're going to do that, you better get somebody in the draft to go alongside him uh, because uh, Trubisky is not a long-term answer. Definitely for sure. Uh, by the way, Mark, one of our fellow hosts, Shree, says, anyone would be better than Jimmy. He's made of glass. I believe a lot of people share those same sentiments. Well, you know, the injury thing in football to me is always unfair. Like I hear I agree. right now being like, Jimmy Jimmy's never healthy. Well, neither is Debo Samuel and nobody's yelling at him. And George Kittle's been hurt two years in a row and nobody's yelling at him. This is football. You are injury prone if you put a helmet on and put pads on and walk on the field. If you don't, then you're not. That's the only injury. The non-injury prone guy is the backup quarterback who's not playing. Uh, definitely for sure. Mark Willard again, folks, KNBR in San Francisco. Mark, again, we appreciate the time, the advice. And again, uh, hopefully I'll be able, to, once this is all over, that you know we'll be able to hook back up and uh, get together again and do some more uh, great stuff for uh, uh, the broadcasters. But again, Mark, I truly humbly appreciate all your hard work to make all of us better. And again, with uh, the coaching seminars and the uh, all the guests you brought, you know, again, five years ago, you know, I'm talking about this from five years ago, but, you know, uh, two day event, it was worthwhile again, take, uh, took the, uh, the drive up to LA from Southern, you know, from San Diego, got to hear from so many great people that you brought along for the ride. And Met a lot of great people as well. And again, I cannot thank you enough for what you've uh, meant and uh, what you've done, though, for uh, so many aspiring broadcasters. And of course, Mark, we wish you all the best. And uh, we thank you again for coming on. We uh, will hope to have you on again sometime in the future. Appreciate all of those words so much. And uh, yes, you can have me anytime. It was a lot of fun. That's all that matters. With that, folks, for Mark Willard of KNBR, John Mathis, Isaiah Leung, Cal McClurg, saying a good rest of your day. We'll see you folks later tonight for some more MI6 programming. And, of course, folks, catch Mark on KNBR weeknight evenings from 6 to 10, or in this case, 2 o'clock to, uh, to 6 on KNBR in the Bay Area, folks. Till later today or, to, uh, or until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye.